Good morning. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading through the entire Bible together, book by book, chapter by chapter. It's so cool to be in this book of Joshua, going through the story again. It's really, in many ways, picking up where we left off not that long ago when we were going through Numbers. Uh, you know, different change of pace here compared to Isaiah. We're just going through the story. And here we are in Joshua chapter 5, and, you know, it, it's one of these parts of the story where you're sort of like, well, a new generation is circumcised. That's kind of this weird Old Testament thing that doesn't seem like it's that important that everyone's circumcised, but like most of the chapters that. So, you know, what is the significance here? I, I think there's a lot to it down to the little details, like, you know, uh, using flint knives, you know, like there, there's a lot of details here and there's a lot of significance uh, but then the, the cool part, you know, I think the part that everyone like kind of like looks and reads and says like, wow, um, there's the commander of the Lord's army, kind of a mysterious figure that just appears and, you know, some kind of uh, angel or maybe more than that. So a lot of cool things to look at this time around and joining us for the first time, we have uh, Reverend Dr. Mark Burkholz. He's pastor at Faith Lutheran Church in Oaklawn, Illinois. Good morning. Welcome, brother. Good to have you with us on Thy Strong Word. Thank you very much, Pastor. I'm happy to be here with you. Yeah, so this is, uh, this is an interesting chapter. It's got a couple different things going on. I mean, we're, we're kind of, it seems like uh, taking care of business is, is like the first part, taking care of some things that didn't happen earlier. Um, but then there's, there's some new stuff um, I mean, like, really, once you get to verse 10, there's this this real change. And, uh, I mean, like, we're just kind of switching into a new mode of doing this uh, people of God going into the promised land thing. Yeah, you've got a, a new start for the people of God. You've got a new generation. A uh, lot of uh, great things going on here. I mean, sometimes when we're reading Joshua, we, we get the crossing of the, Red, of the Jordan River, and then we kind of jump straight ahead to the... Battle of Jericho, but there's a lot of great stuff that's happening right here uh, as we're on our way there. Right, yeah, it's true. Yeah, Jericho is is coming up, and we will we will get there, right? But you have this chapter in between, and you mentioned this this comes right after the crossing. We saw this last time, the crossing of the Jordan, which which it, I have to confess, even even I sort of forget about that. That you know it, we we saw in Isaiah, you know, there's all this this crossing imagery and you kind of naturally just go right back to the crossing of the Red Sea. But uh, you have this second crossing, which is kind of modeled after it. How do you think that that plays into the, the context here, setting things up for us today, this following Joshua chapter 4? Sure. Yeah, so it really bookends the Exodus. So we began with the crossing of the Red Sea, and now we have the uh, crossing of the Jordan River that kind of brings to a conclusion the time in the wilderness and uh, we're coming into the promised land. God is keeping his promises, uh, and it's showing how God is at play all the way through, that this isn't just the people of Israel are out on adventure doing their own thing, but every step of the way, and this chapter particularly, it highlights how this is God's hand at work uh, in bringing his people to the place where he's promised to do so. Yeah, that, I like that term there, bookend. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, we started this whole wilderness journey here with Moses crossing the Red Sea, and now we're ending it with Joshua crossing over the River Jordan. It's saying, like, this phase is done. We are, we are, we are 
through with this. We're moving on to, to something new. And, and so it really is uh, fitting that it's just, I mean, uh, the theme of just new stuff is just all right. over this, all over this chapter. Well, without any further ado, let's go ahead and turn to the chapter here in uh, chapter five. As we do, would you say a prayer for us and for everyone listening today? Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us through, the, through your word, for showing us how you've cared for your people of old and how you continue to care for us and lead us today. Uh, as you have promised, may your Holy Spirit work through these words to create and strengthen faith within us uh, as we look for your guiding hand in all aspects of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. All right. So we, we just crossed over the, the Jordan. We set up those, those 12 stones. I, I think this is something else to keep in mind too, right? And, you know, the purpose for these 12 stones, this memorial, right, is right. that it would be a memorial for your children and your children's children. It's, it's for this new generation. And so speaking of new generations, here we go, chapter 5. Let's just take, uh, let, let's take the first several verses here. It, it really kind of runs all together um, through verse 9. So it's a, it's a bigger chunk, but we can go back and take a look at some of the, the smaller details here after sure. we've got it read. So first nine verses here in the English Standard Version. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel till they crossed over, their hearts melted. And there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Harloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came up out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came up out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he had raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. All right, so... I mean, it's, it's interesting. The chapter kind of does a little bit of a synopsis of what we read in Numbers, pretty right. much when you're when you're going through uh, verses four through seven. There, it's just kind of a, a quick summary of the, the whole thing about the disobedience and why the one generation died and the new generation had to had to be raised up. Um, it's it's just interesting to me, though, the the timing of it all. That you know. I mean, of course, it, it's not as if Joshua was like, hey, this seems like a pretty good time. It says here it's the speaking of the Lord, that the Lord right. speaks to Joshua. But it is interesting that it's like at this moment that sure. the circumcision happens. It is, and it again calls to mind that 
they're being obedient. They're, this is at the Lord's direction, the Lord's guiding. If, if you think about it from a practical standpoint, this is not the most practical thing for an army to do just before they get ready for battle, <laughs> you know, to undergo a surgical procedure that would leave them needing a time Vulnerable. of recovery and could right. cause danger to them. And uh, it really doesn't make sense for this to happen at this time unless there was something more to it than uh, what, what based on what the Lord is, is, is asking them and what he expects of his people. He, he's keeping his covenant to them, and uh, they have a part to play uh, in that as well. Right. I, that, that's well said, right? Like, it, this isn't something that makes a lot of practical sense. Um, and, right. and I think that that kind of speaking to that is the fact that the Lord's command includes to make flint knives. And, you know, I, I confess, this is not something that I myself have done, uh, that is to make sure. a knife out of flint. Um, <clears throat> but from, from what I read about this, um, this is something that is actually pretty simple. Like you can pretty much just kind of wander around. And especially if you're, this is perhaps the only practical thing about it, that if you're near like a riverbed, um, uh -huh. you, you can find like some, some rocks, some chunks of flint, get yourself a nice smooth stone to use as a hammer stone. And you can just right. make a knife just like, you know, bashing rocks together, basically. So yeah, flint, in, flint in kind this, of flakes this, easily and gives you a nice sharp edge. And yeah, uh, right. So so it's kind of like re readily like at hand. So I mean, I guess there's right. that part that's that's practical. But I mean, like it's just as you were saying, the, the the underlying thing here is God saying like right now, this moment, make this happen. You know, don't right. don't wait to like you know go and build yourself an establishment or to like you know fight against um, you know the, the the people of Jericho and then you know take some nice you know once you're in a fortification once you have right. you know some nice tools right then do this no the more important thing is that this happens right away and so I mean I think that that's there's a sense of urgency for this yeah. when it, when it says, you know, make flint knives, it's like, hey, just do this right now. Right. I was kind of reminded as I was reading through this of the incident with, with Moses not circumcising you know, his kids. And right. uh, his, his wife, it says, made a flint knife and did it right away because the Lord was about yep. to kill Moses. <laughs> yep. Uh, and it's at that same sense, okay, it's, it's something that needs to be done. There's urgency and here, here's what's at hand. Here's what we can use to, to take care of this. Yeah, no, it's actually really helpful that the ESV has that little footnote there, pointing back to Exodus 4, where you have that story uh, with Moses and Zipporah. And yeah, like in that situation in Exodus 4, God's decided to kill Moses. I mean, it's like, it's just, I mean, it's it's very all of a sudden, uh, but right. Zipporah figures out what's going on, that, you know, hey, uh, Moses can't go and do this. He can't, he's not, he's unfit, really, to serve in this capacity that God's appointed him to unless he's going to circumcise his own son, my goodness, I mean, the hypocrisy, right? Like, if you're not going to circumcise yeah. your own son. And so she just makes this happen and does this, like, right away. And, and it's like, you just get this sense that, like, she basically pulled this off, like, in the, the nick of time before, I mean, right. God just struck him down. So if, if you see an analogy there, it's like, it's almost as if, guys, hurry up and circumcise yourselves now before I strike you down. I mean, I, I think there's actually a, a little bit of a sense of, the, the the urgency is coming from God himself, because like, you know, it says there in the first couple of verses, the, the spirit of the Canaanites and the Amorites, well, I mean, they, they've melted, right? They're scared. Right. But right. but there's one person that the Israelites do need to be concerned about. That's right. Yeah, again, it shows that this is not about, you know, their personal 
uh, military strategies or, or uh, fitness for battle or anything like that. But uh, since this is the, all the Lord's doing, then they need to do things the Lord's way and not what they think would be best. Right, and, and particularly with regards to being in the promised land, because like, like you said, the question of do they inherit the land is not based on like how clever is Joshua as a tactician. Right. It's not based on how strong are their fighting men. It's not based on how many, like what, how are their numbers, right? It's not right. based on that. The, the question of do they inherit the land is entirely based on God, and are they going to heed the voice of God and live the way he's told them to live in this promised land? So in that sense, like taking on, uh, you know, the, the perspective of God and not just the outward appearances, it actually makes a lot of sense that they immediately circumcised because, right. I mean, they've got, they've got no time to lose here. If they, if they go in uncircumcised and start doing this whole campaign, God's not going to let them stay in the land at all. Right. Yeah, it, it shows that uh, the way that God set things up in, in Genesis with Abraham uh, matters, and uh, you can't just kind of do things your own way apart from God's blessing here. Right. You know, exactly. I mean, it goes, it goes really back to uh, Joshua chapter 1, where, you know, we heard, you know, that, you know, be strong and very courageous, and, you know, I will be with you wherever you go, and wherever you step, you will conquer, and all the rest of it, right? God's yeah. saying all that, not because, you know, Joshua is just, you know, just amazing, and he's just, a, you know, like a, some kind of wunderkind or something like that. Uh, the, the reason is because where Joshua is going is the promised land. He's going where God promised to be. And so right. if you go and go to the places where God's promised to go, where he's commanding you to go, if you, you know, heed his voice, well, there's, there's blessing there because of God, not because of anything else. Exactly. Well, so I, I think that, that that's a good job of kind of appreciating, um, you know, like what this is doing here in this context here, this, this chunk of verses between verses one and eight. Um, anything else in here you think uh, worth commenting on before pressing on? Uh, well, if you include verse 9 in there, uh, that idea that the Lord has rolled away or gotten rid of the, the, the reproach of Egypt, that's an interesting concept. Uh, and as you know, for sure, the, the place names always have to do with what God is doing there. So uh, the name of that place will remind them, here's what God did in uh, restoring our dignity, if you want to put it in that way, or uh, yeah. bringing things back. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. Like you have a lot of these things where you do have the place names explained um, that there's significance. I mean, there's significance like all the names, right? In in scripture, right. The, the names are never given because like, oh, it's, I like the sound of that, or you know, like, oh, this is uh, you know, this is the name of like a celebrity back in Egypt or something. Not that you sure. know, I'm saying that if, you, if if that's how you named your kid, like you know, you're cut off from God's people. No, okay, I'm just I'm just saying that like. In these Old Testament contexts, they, they had a very particular, it was a very theological um, moment when they would name their, their child. That's why so many of them had like names of, of God uh, attached right. to their names. It's, it's interesting, though, um, in verse 9, yeah, I misspoke earlier, it goes, this uh, chunk goes through verse 9. Um, it's interesting that they call it the reproach of Egypt. Why do you suppose it's called that? I mean, one thing that crossed my mind is that 
The Egyptians were actually among the peoples of the earth that widely practiced circumcision. So it seems kind of odd in some ways to call it that. Right. It depends on if you if you connect it directly to the circumcision itself or just to the whole idea of here's God has brought them into the promised land and they're no longer slaves, they're no longer uh, under the heel of the Egyptians, but uh, here they are uh, finally where... Uh, where where they should have been all along. So I I read a little bit of some different commentaries, and here some people connect this back to the idea that, well, if if they would have perished in the wilderness, then uh, the Egyptians would have had reason to pile scorn and insults upon them. God just brought you out of here in the wilderness to die, all of that. So some people take that line of approach to it, but uh, like as, as you mentioned, we're starting to everything new we've got a new generation we've got a new land and so this is they're finally free from all these connections to egypt they're no longer the former slaves but they are god's people here in this in this new land yeah i think that's right on that the idea is that i mean it goes back to what you're saying with i mean the covenant with abraham it's you know through this this practice of circumcision here that God is creating a new people. I mean, and that, that's what Genesis is about, right? The creation of his people. And right. so, you know, we, we got to appreciate that because, I mean, looking at it from like just kind of zooming out a little bit, it, it's significant that God creates his people through circumcision because what circumcision is, is, is an, it's an act of obedience. It's an act of faith. It's not actually something that's particularly tied necessarily to a certain bloodline, you know. And we've seen this again and again in the Old Testament that, like, God actually allows like other people, and we're going to see it in Joshua, right? When 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 Rahab um, actually gets brought into God's people, we're going to see this that other people can be brought into God's people. It doesn't. It's not something that's just about bloodlines. It's about faith at the end of the day. Right. Yeah, and it extends even to to the youngest, uh, eight days old, to be circumcised. It's not something that you earn your way into by, as you mentioned, fighting in battle or somehow as a reward. Okay, you've done well enough, now God will bring you in, but it's all his action of of promise. And and then the response to that is just to to believe and to, to receive that in faith. Absolutely, yeah. So faith, just like chapter one, faith um, emphasized from the outset, really. So uh, let, let's go ahead and read this next little chunk here now. Like there's two more of these like smaller scenes, and, and they're both just really interesting here. You got this first one in verses 10 through 12 um, that's, that's about the first Passover, and um, it's very interesting. You skip over this, but... Um, manna stops, you know, like uh, this whole time, it's so easy to forget, like, oh yeah, they've been eating manna, right, this whole time. But, but um, so so that's that's actually, it's a very interesting kind of last thing that happens. Um, and then and then finally, of course, the, the scene I mentioned earlier about the commander of the Lord's army. So let's just take this first little scene here, verses 10 through 12. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, They kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So, 
I mean, talk, talk about bookends. Like here, here we go again, right? It's, uh, you know, we, we have the crossing of the, the Jordan, you know, kind of complementing what happened uh, back um, in Egypt with the crossing of the Red Sea. And so now, you know, now that they're, they're no longer on this wilderness journey anymore, they're, they're here in the land, the manna stops. I mean, like there's, there's kind of um, all these kind of moments of like, this is, this is done. And of course the big one really is Passover because this whole journey's kicked off with the first Passover and here it is Passover in Canaan. Exactly. So they, that was the, if you remember that the 10th and final plague, the one that uh, after which Pharaoh finally let them go and didn't change his mind and uh, shows how God protected and uh, passed over his people based on the blood of the lamb, how he uh, provided bread for the journey to get them started. And uh, that was supposed to be kept as a remembrance of how God had, had spared them and protected them and uh, set them free, actually. And so this really is a fulfillment of what started back in Egypt as they were eating that, that, that great meal together, that as they come into the promised land, it's important to remember how things started, how they got here, how they were set free in the first place, particularly because you have a new generation. It's an opportunity to, right. to tell those stories again and to remind them uh, what they've been through as a people. Even if they personally hadn't been there the first time, now they get drawn into the story through this, this great meal. Right. Yeah, no, I think that complements what you were saying about the, the first portion here, that, you know, it's, it rolls away the reproach of, of Egypt uh, because it, it you know, through the act of circumcision, it it confirms that this is this is God's free people. This is not just like a band of runaway slaves. This is this is its own nation here, and so right. similarly, I mean, celebrating Passover, that does that in a big way. I mean, like Passover, I mean, is like, I mean, you know, it's like Independence Day. I mean, I mean, I mean, politically speaking, of course, it it means much much more than that. I mean, because it's in the act of the Passover, as you were saying, that it's not merely just um, the the rolling of the way of the reproach, like kind of like moving it somewhere, but like it's this idea that like the the lamb kind of takes the punishment due um, on their behalf. It's it's this atonement idea that makes their freedom possible. So I mean, it really complements, I think, like the act of circumcision, like putting it um, one right after the other. Right. Yeah, it it keeps showing how God is is keeping his promises, how he's uh guiding and directing his his people and uh fulfilling what he's what he's told them he's he's going to do. Uh we have all of that reenacted in a very physical way, not merely with just thinking about it in your head, but uh physically eating this meal together with your with your family, with your nation uh as a way to to bring that to life in a real way. And, and then the uh, the other side of it, too, it's interesting, right? Again, it's just, hey, it's the 14th day of the month. It's time to celebrate this thing, right? And, you know, we, we remember back in, in Numbers that we saw that God did have, he did make an allowance for, like, well, if for some, you know, set of extenuating circumcise, uh, circum circumstances, uh, you can't celebrate the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. Well, there's like a makeup Passover, and you can do it like on the, I think it's, I think it was the 14th day of the second month then. 
Um, but th they don't try to, you know, get out of it. And they're like, well, geez, I mean, here we are just like on the plains of Jericho. I mean, like, it, it, let's be practical. Let's wait until, until we like, you know, take our first city or we get a more like a permanent establishment. You know, we can do, we can just do the makeup one. That's fine. Right. There, there's no there's no hint of that it's, we're just gonna do this and you know if we're doing it in the middle of nowhere so be it the more important thing isn't actually like you know being practical and expedient and efficient by right. human standards the the important thing is obedience to god yeah it's almost preemptive celebration it's you no know, we're, we're so sure that god is going to give us this victory we can go ahead and celebrate a bit early now, there's lots of ties in with, you know, there's obviously there's connection between the Passover and the Lord's Supper, but yeah. in a similar way, you know, we are on the, the verge of Jordan, as they say, and we are, uh, we are so sure that God is going to make us part of the heavenly banquet and the great eschatological feast that we can go ahead and celebrate here and now, even when it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot to celebrate sometimes. We know for sure that God will give us the victory in his time and his way, and so we can go ahead and, and join in, in the ongoing celebration here, even here and now. Yeah, you know, that, that, that's well said. I mean, it's like, you know, for, for, of course, the people of Israel, they celebrate this the 14th day of the first month. You know, when do we as, as Christians celebrate the Passover? Well, we celebrate it on the first day of the week every week. <laughs> right, we celebrate yeah. it on Sunday, like every single time. That's our Passover. You know, we, we celebrate right. it weekly and not, not annually. Um, you know, sometimes people ask, like, well, why don't we observe Passover? Like, well, we we observe Passover 52 times a year. But, like, as you were saying, like, we, we do that even in the midst of things that, that might seem like, you know, like, what what, what are we doing? You're like, this isn't any time to be celebrating. This is, come on, there's a lot of things going on here. Let's be, let's be practical. This seems like it's not a very good use of time. I mean, like, whatever it is, it's like, no, Sunday morning, we're doing this, right? I mean, like, we, we're keeping the same spirit i think with god's people there um i want to give you a chance to kind of build on that thought but we do have to go into our break everybody hang on we're looking at joshua chapter five here on thy strong word we'll be right back These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan316. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa, joined today by the Reverend Dr. Mark Burkholz, pastor of Faith Lutheran Church in Oaklawn, Illinois. We're looking at Joshua chapter 5. I want to make sure to thank our underwriters before we get into this. They're the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Check them out at lhfmissions.org. You know, here we are reading the Bible in, you know, this English Standard Version, we, we have lots of versions that we can choose from. You can pull it up on your smartphone. You can, you know, we have just so many resources, but it's because of people like the Lutheran Heritage Foundation that people in other countries and other languages that don't even have the scriptures, they're getting it 
they're getting those resources put into their hands. So check them out again, lhfmissions.org. So here, here we are in Joshua 5, and we just read verse 12, and we were just talking about how, you know, there they are, they're doing the circumcision, they're doing the Passover. Yeah, is it is it awkward timing? Yeah, it is. Does it make a lot of sense practically to be doing these things like right now, like when they've just like, you know, in uh, wound up in, you know, enemy territory? No, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Uh, but we, we have the same thing as we celebrate uh, the Passover in the Lord's Supper. You know, we, we do these things, we, we have these celebrations as the Church, and we do them even though by outward appearances it maybe doesn't seem like it's good timing, or maybe it's inconvenient. That's right, because it's it's all about what the Lord does and how He, uh, first of all, kind of gives these institutions. He, he's the one who commanded Abraham to do things this way. He's the one who gave Moses and the people of Israel the Passover, and uh, part of it is is that obedience of trusting in, in God and doing things the way that He is He's instructed to do, even when it doesn't kind of make sense to us. But uh, also looking back as the people can do at this point and seeing how God has brought them through all that they've been through so far and trusting in him to continue to move them along in the way that, that he would have them go. You know, I'm thinking too, you know, kind of developing this thought a little bit more. Like, I, I feel like this is a theme that we encounter in, in congregational life together, that, you know, we, we as a church, you know, we, we find ourselves in situations where we, we feel that there's a tension between, um, obedience and and doing the things like of the faith that that deep down we know we really ought to do and, and usually there, there's somebody in, in our midst in the congregation who will remind us of that um versus like the the side of us that's like yeah but you know the church could save a little bit of money if we did it this way or like yeah but i mean there's this deadline and you know if we just kind of like fudge this like that would be really nice you know like that that would that i mean just think about how much how much more we would have or, or, you know, like how much more effective this might be. I, I feel like this is something that this is a line that we end up uh, flirting with a lot in, in our congregations that we're torn between wanting to do things um, practically in ways that like give us more time or money, et cetera. Um, and then kind of just, I don't know, doing it, doing it the right way. Do you think that uh, this text speaks at all to that in our, our current life together? Sure, yeah, there, there's always a tension in trying to do things that, you know, as you mentioned, this is the way God gives us to do them, and so we uh, listen and we follow in faith versus this is what would make more sense, this might be more expedient, this might seem to be more successful, a better strategy. Uh, and there's there, there's a true struggle there sometimes just to uh, to listen and to, to trust and to follow along with, uh, how God is 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 instructing us, uh, when it, whether it's you know worship issues, whether it's uh, evangelism outreach strategies, just the way that we we work and live together. Uh, there's there's always a tension to try to outthink or to to do things in the way that we think is right, rather than the way that God has 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 given us to do them. Yeah, no, I, absolutely, and, and I do think that probably. I mean, there's probably a lot of examples um, that that can come to mind here, but I mean, I, I think that one um, for me is, I mean, is also just thinking about it too, like in this Advent season, is is actually just the Lord's Supper. That you know, that's something that I don't know how it happened, but 
you know, we have a plurality of uh, practices now these days um, in, in our in our synod about whether we, we celebrate the, the sacrament um, every, every Sunday or, you know, uh, I mean, some places like, you know, it's like once a month or twice a month or, or whatever it is. And I'm not really sure on the history of like how, how that came to be, but I, I hope anyway that our reason, if, if we decide that we're not going to do that, it's not because like, oh, well, let's be practical and let's like save a little bit of money or, oh, well, it takes so much time. Like, come on, let's be efficient with our time. Because if, if that's the reason, right, like that would be kind of like Joshua and the people of Israel being like, yeah, well, God, we we would circumcise, but come on, let's be practical. Let's pick another occasion or like, oh, well, we could keep the Passover, but, you know, let, let's wait till the, you know, the second month or something like that. I mean, like uh, the reason should not be because we think we know better than God and we should be more practical than obedient. Right. Yeah, we, we did go through that in our congregation and. There is that struggle, well, if it makes the service a little bit longer, what are we missing out on? What do we really have to do that's so much more important than receiving the gifts of God? It does mean a little bit of extra work for perhaps the the altar guild or other folks, but, I mean, who are we? What are we really here for as a congregation? Why is God bringing us together? And uh, one of the the main reasons why we're here is to uh, receive the forgiveness and life that come from the Lord in a, a very physical, embodied way in the Lord's Supper. And to try to find things that are more important or more uh, urgent than, than that would be quite ridiculous. Well, yeah, yeah, no, and I'm glad you mentioned that word urgent again, right? Because, I mean, it was, a, it was an urgent matter again that they circumcised, right? It didn't seem right. from a human perspective like it's very urgent. It's like, uh, sure, surely, surely we have a long time to do this, right? No, but from right. the divine perspective, they needed to do it right away, right? You know, going back right. to, you know, Exodus 4, like... You know, Zipporah needs to do this, like, for their son immediately before Moses dies, because God's going to kill him. I mean, I mean, like, there's, and I'm not saying that it's like, you know, if you don't celebrate the supper every every Sunday, like, God's going to strike your congregation down, right? But there should be a spiritual urgency that we sense to get back to the Lord's table, to get back and to celebrate that feast to come, right? Like, humanly speaking, it, it, it seems like, what's the big deal, right? We could miss, but... I mean, I think that this text, this story is showing us how from God's perspective, these are urgent, pressing matters of like the highest priority that we've got to take care of first thing. Right. Yeah. And this comes before we're marching around Jericho or before we're, you know, fighting battles and against the other other kings in this this other side of the Jordan. It's uh, you're right. This is God's priority for his people and the the rest of the, the conquest uh, takes second seat to to what's going on here in chapter five, and, and I think that that ties in really nicely too with what you see in verse twelve with the manna ceasing that day. I mean that's that's just so interesting. You know, I you, you don't think about that like oh right they they didn't need manna I guess because they were in the promised land, but I mean this is this is so interesting to me because to me this this recalls what our Lord Jesus says in John chapter six right where he's like. Well, you know, your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and died, but, you know, this, I'm coming to bring you the true bread from heaven, right? Like, right. Joshua has has actually weaned them off of manna, right? Like, Joshua has done his job and has got them from manna to something better, that is, eating in the promised land, right? 
and and our right. Lord Jesus, you know, of course we've talked about this, like who is, you know, that that's his name, Joshua, right? You right. see, wherever you see Joshua do anything in this book, just think Jesus doing it, right? Jesus right. is the one who takes us from, you know, eating um, the the bread, of, like the old bread, to bringing us into the promised land. I mean, and that's that's what we anticipate with the Lord's Supper, that like, it's in that moment that that you're in like the new heaven and the new earth like and it's like only through participation it's only through faith but like you know this is this is jesus saying like yeah this old stuff here this was just the man to kind of get you up to the jordan river i'm the one who's actually going to get you to cross it right yeah and that the word for cease there in verse 12 is the same word for sabbath and rest man i don't know how far you can yeah. press that that one word but uh they're they've they've come to a place of of rest you know god almost like god is resting from sending the manna yeah and we're we're in this uh the, the this promised land that is though the place of abundance of this place where everything is is overflowing and is is there for them to to receive uh they they didn't plant these crops right because right. they they're just arriving there that this food that they're receiving is a, is a direct gift from god and in that he's giving them this land he's giving them all the produce and all the fruit and all these things that uh are just simply re- received as as a gift from him and so there's the 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 temporary the, and the manna but now we're in a more I don't know to say permanent but we're in a in a more regular situation here where we're out of the the transitional time in the wilderness and now we're we're feeling settled we're uh in this place that God has given to us right well, uh, I want to make sure that we still have enough time for this last little scene here. I mean, like, I, I really do appreciate um, you helping us unpack um, these first two parts, because I, I really do think there's a lot of analogy between their situation and ours, and it's it's so cool to see our Lord Jesus there prefigured in what Joshua is up to. Um, what's interesting, though, in this next scene, right, you, you might be wondering to yourself, now, where's Jesus in this scene, right? Is he Joshua or is he somebody else? So, I mean, that's something we'll need to take a look at. But let, let's read the last few verses here, this last scene in chapter 5, and take a look at this. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So, um, just just a, an amazing scene here. It, it it recalls what happened to Moses, right? When he saw that burning bush, and, and then the bush, right, says, you know, hey, the place you're standing is holy ground, and and right. it's clear that this is not just like a bush. I mean, this is this is God speaking from the bush. So, I mean, similarly, you have you have this moment here, and it it, it feels like this is actually a prefigurement or an embodiment of of God, or, or you might even say, like, of, of the Lord Jesus before his birth. What, what do you think? Yeah, definitely. I mean, before we get too far into that, that identity, even just the way that the story builds, he lifted up his eyes, he looked, and behold. I mean, any one of those words would have worked. 
Yeah. Uh, but it's building up the, the drama, the importance. There's, as you mentioned, there's some similar language used here with, with Moses and the burning bush. Yeah. Uh, but, but definitely there, this is not just anybody. It's not an ordinary encounter with uh, some random mercenary who's, who's out in the field somewhere. Uh, right. But the fact that the way that Joshua reacts, he's falling down, he's worshiping this is holy place. So holiness only comes from God. The only way this can be a holy place is if the presence of God is there in and through this this individual who is identified as the commander of the Lord's army. So the the question obviously is this, uh, if he's not an ordinary human being, is he an angel? Is this uh, Jesus Christ, the, the, the appearance of the second person of the Trinity in a pre-incarnate state here? Uh, and it's it's really interesting question to to consider, and uh, it's not something that there's obviously a, a slam dunk case either way for it. But right. the way that it talks, it gives that impression that uh, this is the Lord Himself who is going to to lead His people into battle. Right. Well, I mean, like on on a certain level, you know, like I I, I totally agree with what you're saying. It's not like I don't know. This is, this is obviously not a systematics textbook. This is a, this is a story. It's a true story. It's a story that's told a certain way so that, you know, we, we are, you know, learned in the things of the faith. Right. But, um, you know, it, it is kind of, uh, ambiguous on some of those, uh, some of those finer points, but I mean, what's clear, right? Like th- this is, this is a, a spokesperson for God. They're like, this, this is right. God speaking. Right. And, and, and what yep. do you call Jesus? Like, well, he's the word of God. He's who speaks exactly. for God. So it's no it's no stretch. There's nothing wrong, certainly, with identifying it that way. I mean, it's just it's just what who he is, what he does. Um, right. Something something that strikes me, though, and you don't appreciate this until you get to chapter six. But right. so, I mean, in chapter six, it, you know, it picks up like now Jericho. So, so it just kind of starts talking about Jericho. But. In the very next verse, it says, you know, and, and the Lord said to Joshua, right. I'm, I'm just wondering, I mean, is that continuing on the conversation that they're having right now? And so now it's just identifying um, this commander as the Lord there. I mean, like, it wouldn't be the first time that it ha- it's happened. We, we, we've we seen the same thing happen um, in the story with Abraham, right? Abraham's right. there with the three visitors, Right? right, and he's he's talking to them, and he doesn't know who they are at first, um, right. but then at a certain point, Abraham kind of puts two and two together, and then actually, it's kind of after that point that in the text in Genesis, it switches, and now it just refers to the man, not as just the man, but just the Lord. So it's like okay, okay, kind of the jig is up, and like now the text is kind of being transparent with us. I, I don't know. Is that something that right. that you've that, that you've uh, given much thought to? How it just switches to like, and the Lord said, is that just like this man, this figure, continuing the conversation. That that would be the the easiest way to read it because remember when this is being written, there's no chapters, there's no verse division, right. there's nobody who's really kind of splitting this text up into smaller units. So, reading through it, it just kind of naturally flows that you know Joshua was talking to this person, and now all of a sudden you know the Lord is talking to him. So, I would agree with what you're saying there, particularly in connection to the uh, story with with Abraham and the visitors that the 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 natural way to read this is this is the Lord who is speaking to Joshua uh, through this this appearance of this um, this commander of the army here. 
Right. Well, and it, it makes sense. Like you were just saying, like he's the commander of the army. Let's think about like, you know, how he's showing up. He's showing up, it says with his sword, his sword drawn, right? Is he is right. he there with his drawn sword there to like impress Joshua? Right? <laughs> no. Um, it makes sense to say like, well, he's there doing this because what? He's about to tell Joshua how he's going to take Jericho. Right. right. I mean, that, that's what he says yep. in, in chapter six. Like, see, I've given Jericho into your hand. Right. And he's going to talk right. about how they're going to do this. And, I mean, and it just makes sense because it's this guy, you know, the Lord really is the one holding the sword. He's actually going to be the one to take down Jericho. They're just going to march around right. in circles. Right. So, I mean, it yeah. really, as, as you're saying, it does flow together. And in the Hebrew, of course, there are no uh, chapter numbers. It, it does just kind of like, it's almost as if like this is actually how chapter six begins if if you're going to put a chapter number anywhere right yeah and it's interesting you would think that joshua is the commander of the lord's army yeah right he's the one who, who and and nope it's, it's this other guy who's who's really the one and uh you're right as as, as the uh incident with with jericho unfolds you can tell for certain that this isn't anything that that's joshua's doing but it's uh it's the lord who's uh, the one who is giving them victory over their enemies, as you mentioned, goes all the way back to chapter one and how God promises yeah. all these things are going to happen. Yeah, I like I like what you said. Like you know, Joshua was like, "Hey, I thought that was my job, right?" Like, <laughs> wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't have that have been like a terrible reaction, right? That right. would have been one of those. And now I'm taking your voice away, Joshua. You know, um, but but no, I mean, how does he respond, right? And, th and this is the other thing too. I mean, Joshua fell on his faith face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, right? So now, I mean, we got to be real. When, when, the, when our English translations of the Bible have the word worship, I mean, <clears throat> usually the, the underlying Greek or Hebrew word just means bow down. And I mean, it can happen to like all kinds of royal or important figures. And it's not that we should necessarily understand it as like Joshua thinks that he's, he's bowing down to God necessarily, you know, yet, yet with everything else that we're saying, right, everything else going on here, right? I mean, it's, it, it is, it is pretty suggestive, I think. Right. And often if you have somebody who's bowing down to an angel, usually the angel's first response is, you know, don't worship yep. me. You see that right. in Revelation. And so he's not in any way rejecting this, uh, this honor, this worship that's um, being done to him by, by, uh, by Joshua, and then the word here is is more often than not used of the worship of God. You write it can mean an extended sense to you know show honor or obeisance to some some greater right. magistrate or something like that. But the the usual typical way to to read this that this verb is is to worship the Lord. Right. Yeah. No. That's um. Yeah. I I, I hadn't considered that, but this is. I mean. It, it, it's a very strange verb. <laughs> it's it's unique, and we won't go into into how it's unique. I mean, but the, but the form is, I mean, originally, I think it comes from that idea of like repetition of you know making yourself bow down probably like several times. Um, so the right. idea is there, but by the time it by the time it winds up in Hebrew, it it pretty much actually just only means worship. Um, and it's, right. it's 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 a very old weird verb that seems to have only kept around kept around because it. Um, it just refers to like what you do before God. Um, uh, kind of turning our, our attention to another feature here. You know, what what do you make of Joshua's question at first, right? Because Joshua's question, I mean, this seems like it's like Moses, like where at first he's like, oh, this is just an interesting site. Like, oh, I wonder what's up with this, right? He doesn't know what to expect at first. 
And so he asks this question, you know, are you for us or for our adversaries? Right. And then, right. you know, the response is like, no, no. Yes. <laughs> like what, what, what do you, what do you make of that exchange? It, it, it's really again, goes to the heart of how, how all of this works. It's not as though, uh, God is simply going to give the Israelites everything they, they ever wanted without being uh, critical of, of the way that they're doing things. If, if they're doing things the Lord's way, things will go well. If they do things their own way, then there are a few places, as you, you'll be reading here through Joshua, where they don't have success in, in battle, and it's usually right. because they've disobeyed the Lord in some way or another. So uh, it's not as though he's simply going to... Uh, give us some sort of generic endorsement over every single plan or idea that Joshua and the Israelites have. But the the question isn't, is God on your side, but are you on God's side? Right. Yeah, no, that's right. And, and, and so consequently, right, it's a, <laughs> it's a question of, are you for yourselves or for your adversaries, right? Because like when you're right. aligned with God, um, well, I mean, it's going to be to your own blessing, but when you're against God, I mean, you're really just your own enemy in that case. Exactly, and there, there's there's no way that they're going to succeed on their own without the Lord. That's that was that was a whole issue with the spies is that certainly that the, the ten spies were were right. If you take God out of the equation, there was no way that these guys were going to just kind of walk into the promised land with no issues whatsoever. It was it was a very intimidating prospect. Uh, but when you you recognize who it is who's uh, fighting for you and with you uh, according to what he's he's promised to do, then uh, it's a it's a completely different picture. Right. Yeah. No. That, that that's right. It's it's the picture of of faith. It's understanding this. Um, you know, not just by the outward appearances, but but what you I mean what God's looking at and. It is. It is just really interesting to think of it as like you know, you know, from a from a worldly perspective, even this is just well. Joshua is you know, I mean, he's the commander and he's talking to this guy, and I don't know that the guy has some kind of you know, uh, insider vision or something. But um, sure. from that spiritual perspective, the thing that that I like about this scene is is it feels like Joshua here is basically having a conversation with the true Joshua that that Joshua has has met his match and more like this is the guy who he's supposed to be representing this is, is the true Joshua to come and um, you, you have you have these moments you know where where it seems like the people in the Old Testament meet Jesus whether it's like right. Abraham with the three visitors or right. Joshua, you know, uh, with the burning bush, or, or, or Moses, the burning bush, or here Joshua talking to the commander of the Lord, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, it's not hard to see Jesus here in the Old Testament in this right. story uh, when you're looking for him. Right, and then what, what a blessing to Joshua, too. Uh, I mean, he certainly could have just gone by Moses' words and what other people had said, but for God to bless him in such a way to actually see and have a conversation with him, uh, so that uh, to, to strengthen his his faith and his resolve going into this this upcoming battle, knowing that it's not just him, but the Lord and his army are are really there. It's not just a, some sort of a dream or a, a part of his imagination, but he's physically there with him, uh, and it kind of takes some of the pressure off of himself to be the one who's responsible for this. 
Right. Oh yeah. No, I mean, like, and it's, it's so, it's so, I mean, let's not forget, right? Like, especially if you take this all, it's like, it's the same scene and, you know, it says there in verse 13, when Joshua is by Jericho, right? And so right. just what a blessing it is that God is showing up and giving this, this message and, and really, you know, like you were saying, kind of taking the weight off of his shoulder, right? Saying like, Hey, look, you're, you're, you know, it's like the eve of battle here, but like, it's not like it's all on you, you know, like so often we feel like, man, if I don't get this right, you know, like it's all for not, like I only got one chance and I better not blow it, especially when it comes to our churches, right? It's like, oh, if, if we don't, you know, do this or that, the other thing, right, then our church is going under and, you know, there will be no gospel preached in this place or something. But, I mean, it's it's God who's the one shouldering everything. Let's never forget. Um, only about a minute left here, but just uh, some, yeah. some concluding thoughts here for us as we uh, wrap up. Sure. Yeah, just to uh, see in this episode how uh, God is using what he's promised. He's being consistent. He's keeping his, his word to his people, and that gives us, us hope and peace as well, and that we hear maybe not the promises of a specific plot of land in the Middle East, but his promise of eternal life and uh, hope that we have through him is just as certain and sure for us as it was for uh, the people of Israel as he's leading them into this place that he's prepared for them. Amen. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, brother. It's so good having you on for the first time here. I, I hope that we can have you on again uh, really soon and the blessings on, on the rest of uh, this uh, epiphany season. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. You bet. Everybody, Pastor Mark Burkholz at Faith Lutheran Church in Oaklawn, Illinois. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, looking forward to moving on to the fall of Jericho, chapter six. What a treat. This is the, the story that all the kids like, right? So stay tuned for that. Until next time, everybody, I'm Pastor AJ Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.